thanks for tuning in. Once again, it's been a long bit, but sorry about that. That's the way life goes when you're learning to deal for the first time with chronic pain and arthritis and some strange reason I just cannot get enough sleep and it is really really odd I'm having to deal with things that I've never dealt with before in my own personal health mind you at the same time I'm transgender so I've dealt with a lot of strange things in my life as far as health goes but I wanted to talk a little bit about something that came across my desk um, I got called a name and, and okay. I grew up with a father who said sticks and stones will make my bones, but names will never hurt me. Hmm. Okay. In the real world, sometimes that does not work. It doesn't work with my kids. My kids come home. Oh, you know what I got called today? <laughs> I got called gay, or I got called a fag, or I got called this, or I got called that. And I look at my son. My son is extremely heterosexual. And I just went, hmm, okay. So how do you identify? And he goes, uh, I'm attracted to girls. I'm like, okay. So you got a problem with that? He goes, oh, I just think it's very stupid and rude. I'm like, wow, oh, bravo on you. Give me a give you a golf clap for that, you know. Proud of my son. I've raised my boys and my daughters correctly. That you know, yes, there is proper pronouns and there's proper adjectives and nouns to um, link to someone's life, but it is not exclusion. It, it isn't everything about them. And a lot of their mates at school sometimes come from different backgrounds. So we've had a few issues, and we come around, and we just say, well, let's look at this logically. Now, earlier this past week, I got called a name. Now, I got into a discussion with someone about... The issues of being trans. They kept going back to the issue that there needs to be safe spaces for women and safe, and that men should never be included, and that includes trans women. And one of their one of their making uh, key talking point was there are seventy two, no, seventy two. We're not even at a hundred yet. Trans women. Or people that have identified as trans in the American criminal justice system. And most of them are predators. Okay. Now, my question that never kept getting answered was how did they become, how did they identify? Was it through, um, seeking professional medical help or did they just wake up one day and decide you know I know a way that I can get out of this whole thing and I can get closer to women again which I believe is the latter part I do not believe it is the four part where it is a person that has actually sought professional assistance and was diagnosed as transgender and then became a predator 
it just isn't kind of that thing that exists in my community. It's not a normal. But suddenly, only 72. And I kind of cringe at the thought of the idea of trying to make a case for the whole wide world for 72 people. Because of 72 people. Yes, these predators are predators. Don't get me wrong. If you're a predator, whether you're transgender, a priest, cisgendered, you're a fucking predator. And you need to be treated as such. The legal system needs to throw the fucking book at you. So don't get me wrong. I'm very stern on this. I have a child who suffered at the hands of a predator. Now, when you look at that situation, that shit needs to be taken into consideration. And those buggers need to be thrown away into a private prison. Separate from all the others. Because they don't deserve to be in that pool. Those people don't deserve, doesn't matter if you're man, doesn't matter if you're woman, doesn't matter if you're transgender. If you're a predator, you don't deserve to be around the rest of society. You're a danger to all of us. But I thought that this was really interesting that this individual kept coming about and saying, hey, we need safe spaces in prison. Whoa, 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 whoa. Excuse me? You want safe spaces in prison for individuals who have committed crimes, and a lot of them are not victimless crimes. But you want a safe space for that person who committed a crime. Blows my mind. I mean, I just, I was really shocked that this individual could even come up with this kind of a, a thought process and this this linking of the the 72 people and demanding that there was a safe space all across the world for every prison um, where these individuals were not, where trans individuals were not in there. So, and I want to also express that there are transgender people who are in prison. Hey, if you've done the crime, you've got to do the time. I don't care who you are. Okay, I admit I don't do everything perfectly in life. I have made some fuck-ups. I have paid my crimes, my time for my crimes. I've sped. I've driven recklessly. I've done stupid things throughout my life, and I've paid for them. But at the same time that if you are causing someone to be a victim because of your crime, you're not a safe person in our community. And I've never done that. Granted, my reckless driving was dangerous. And I faced court for it. And I got a hell of a fine for it. And I faced, I almost went to jail for it. But it was, there was only me on the road. And there was nobody else. And it was a gravel road. And I copped, the, I copped it. I said, yep, I did it. I was stupid. And the judge just gave me time off and said, look, you know, you really are stupid. We're not going to go to, you know, reckless driving. We're going to downgrade it 
but you're stupid and I appreciate you opening up for it, but you've got a year's worth of probation. Don't do it again or we'll bring back the charge as full. And I never did it again. It was stupid. Urban surfing is mm, not really the smartest thing in the world. And yeah, there was another person that was in the car. I forgot about that because you can't drive an urban surf at the same time. But yeah, I, I did get in trouble for it and it was reckless. Um, and I put myself at danger, not the driver. And that was kind of what the judge was looking at. You weren't really reckless as far as endangering other people. You were dumb endangering yourself. But it, but enough on that. So we come back to that that 72 people. Yes, there are others that are transgender that are in the prison system who are not predators. But they still committed a crime and they still have to do their time. And we should allow them that opportunity to commit that crime. And when they're out, we treat them like they've done their time. I never liked it in the Americans, how the Americans always... Um, ask on a um, application process, have you ever committed a crime? You know what? If you've committed a crime and you've done your time, you're just as good as everybody else. You've done your part to society to make it right. Now, granted, I will say that there are some exceptions to this issue. But I think that here in Australia, we've solved that exception to that issue with a thing called the um, Child and Vulnerable People card. If you can't get that, well, you've done something wrong. And if you can't pass a police check, you've done something wrong to a point that an employer that needs one can't hire you. But if you're going to be a chippy, there's no big deal. Chippy, for those of you who don't know, in Australia is a builder. Um, we call them chippies. It's, it's kind of a nice thing to call them, actually. I think it's very respectful here. Um, and that, that includes anybody who uh, does anything with building. So you can be a chippy and be building a huge sky rise. And you can be a chippy who's sitting there building a house. And it, it's kind of that same respect level. And I, I really do think it's an amazing thing that Australia has. Um, in that level of respect. But getting back to this, this person kept going. And this, and then I, I just said, look, you know, you're, you're banging on about the same damn thing. And as an educator in the transgender healthcare uh, arena, I, I tend to come back to this idea that we need to be more open and honest about our healthcare. And I said, look, you know, if this person has identified in prison, then fine, let them identify in prison, but it doesn't make it official. And therefore, we should treat it just like we treat when our children, and I've got a, I've got a number of children, when they say, I'm Batman, or I'm Wonder Woman, or I'm the little Miss Pony, we shouldn't let them do what they're doing with that. But also realize that this is a fantasy role. It's not real. It does not exist outside of fantasy. And I think that these predators that are self-identifying, we need to just treat it in that same issue. And we also need to treat those that self-identify the same way. Now, I'm not 
And what I got called was a tru uh, truscum, T-R-U-S-C-U-M. And the person was laughing. How do you like being a troll scum? And I was like, and and it wasn't my finest reply. I will admit that. I've my first reply is, what are you, ten? <laughs> because I was shocked. I was just in complete awe of being called uh, this term. Because it was not something I had ever heard. It was not something I'd ever been called. Um, and yes, I do work with medical professionals. I have highly respected medical professionals who talk to me about being transgender. They ask the important questions. I spend time researching. When someone sends me a link on something that is important to my community, I take a look at it really seriously. Like when it came to the autism spectrum and being transgender, I really have been taking a look at that and being kind of uh, nitpicky on how I'm viewing this information. It's important to know. Um, and I'm getting prepared for 2021 when I'll be doing some more um, talking on the circuit for the... Um, transgender healthcare, And I think it's very important that we start looking at that. And one of the things that I, I'm trying to create is a PowerPoint presentation that might be a little bit more in depth, but at the same time, giving the same understanding of the transgender issues. And that is more than just what we accept, more than what we just realize is simplistically designed so like you have a lot of people that go well there's only two genders male and female well then uh, i kind of got a problem with that because i've got evidence that says hey a plus b doesn't equal c and therefore there are more than one gender and we have conditions where there are more than one gender which is backed up empirical data and it is rock solid Data. It's not swung by any group that's religious affiliated or LGBT affiliated. This is a group of scientists that have come up and said, hey, look, this is XY and this is XX. This is XXY and this is XXXY and this is XX and XXX. And this is a person that's intersexed where they were born with the genitalia of a woman. But, uh, hey, we've got kind of a problem here. Her chromosomes all say male. So, when they, and, and I really respect this uh, woman on um, TED. I, I love listening to TED Talks. It just, there's always a, a good point of, of view when you listen to them. And you can generally get to see some things that most people don't. And Emily was on there, and she gave an absolutely fantastic um, conversation about it. And if you go back to my website, you can see the information that is linking to that uh, to those conversations on gender. And I call it the gender spectrum. There's one through five, I believe, episodes on it where I touch on the um, the issues that exist in the spectrum and we put some faces to the spectrum 
because it's important. I can say it all I want. You know, here's this person, but you don't understand until you see them face to face and you don't hear their story. So when you get a chance, go take a look at my blog. Take a look at the um, the gender spectrum and look at Emily's story. And then when you're done, think again about the gender spectrum. Think again how it exists and how we navigate that system while still being part of a binary system. So even though Emily is smack dab in the middle of the gender spectrum, she sits, she identifies perfectly as a woman. She enjoys being a woman. She is a woman. And anybody that sees her, you can't mistake her. She's a woman. Even though her biology says she's not. Now, we're going to go back to the name. Now, yes, I do admit, I do lean towards the requirement of identifying with the assistance of the medical profession. And the reason I say this is very clear. There are some serious issues that we need to look at when you identify. And most of the time, when you just pull it out of your hat, you're not looking at all the issues. And that's fine. You can identify as a woman. But the moment you start to try and convince others that you are, or the moment that you try to convince the medical um, industry that you need XYZ hormones, you need certain things. And those certain things are there and designed to protect your physical health. Now, and I say this, and I really do, and I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. But when we come to this, we also need to make sure that we're perfectly clear and understanding that, yes, you can identify without any medical assistance. Because I also understand that not all of us can afford to seek that medical assistance. It's... It's not something that is readily available to every single person in the world. <coughs> so identifying without medical assistance is okay. But we need to treat that as we treat the, the child saying, I'm Batman or I'm Wonder Woman. Great for you. Go ahead. Not a problem. You are what you say you are. But when it comes time to being official, you need to seek professional assistance. And this comes from talking to doctors, visiting a psychologist, and living as the desired gender. Okay? Now, I'm not saying you have to have surgery. I don't care what's down your pants. I really, really don't don't care. And I don't think it's anybody's business unless they're in your pants. In other words, you know, copulation, sex, intimate relations, those type of things. Yes, you kind of really do need to be open and honest with your partner about. And if you can't, well, then you shouldn't be in that relationship. But as I've been saying is, okay, when we look at this, there are mental health issues that exist in the DSM that mimics certain things that the transgender community goes through. 
And if you're thinking you are gender, you're you're having gender issues, and it's something else. Trying to fix the gender issues won't solve the other problem, and it just heaps on top of it. And you could be really up for a lot of problems in the future. Now, that said, I also want to go back to this. That a lot of times the people that self-identify have a, a, men, a, a thought process of, I don't need doctors to tell me what I'm feeling. I know what I'm feeling. Well, that's great. I'm glad you know what you're feeling. But you need doctors because if you decide to go down the path of do-it-yourself hormones, do not do that. Really issue this. Your physical health is at risk if you don't pay attention to it. You need to see your doctor regularly. You need to get blood tests regularly. You need to be on the ball with this. It's not a game. And to take your health care willy-nilly and just order a pack of hormones and blockers on the internet is extremely dangerous. And it should not be done. Now, I'm also in the school, and there's been a lot of support lately of a terminology that's coming out um, called gender incongruity. Now, I really like this term because there are those that are in the transgender community that do not have gender dysphoria. And what we need to understand about gender dysphoria is gender dysphoria is a term that is kind of like a blanket term. All right. It's an umbrella and things exist below it. And some of those are panic attacks, anxiety attacks, you know, those type of things that come with it, depression, they, they, they're under that umbrella of gender dysphoria. When you're talking gender dysphoria, you're looking at for those type of issues. Um, you can have, you can be a trans person and not have dysphoria. Um, in saying that, I do have dysphoria. I know where my dysphoria lies, and I manage it. And it it's really something so simple that most people would go, really? I have dysphoric issues with body hair. I think I've said it before on this uh, podcast, that it is body hair that really is my trigger. Um, it makes no sense to me as the person who exists in it, but it, yeah, just, it's there. I just go, nope, nope, gotta shave. Nope, nope, gotta use the epilator. Nope, nope, gotta go. Sorry, I'm having a drink as we're talking. Um, and it's okay to have that. But I know what it causes in me. It causes, um... I do get a little anxious about my body hair, and when I go out, I make sure that it is not there. Because, believe it or not, people, when you're transgender, if you've already reached male puberty and you're a trans woman, nah, your hair follicles still work. And there's not much that can be done. You can't really turn them off. 
you might have a reduction, a thinning. Uh, laser does help a little bit, but it's not perfect in itself. But when we come back to it, what we need to look at is this name that was called to me was because I was a – I'm known by this person as a transmedicalist. Well, it's a really brutal term. And what it means is a transcom is also known as a transmedicalist are commonly misunderstood community on Tumblr. Like a freaking I don't use Tumblr. I don't even know where in the hell I would start with that. Um, they follow the medical definition of transsexualism. That a tr uh, the medical condition and that you need to have dysphoria to be trans. No. I do not follow this, but I changed – I really – when I talk to doctors, I use the term transgender. We're getting to a stage where we look at certain terminology and we want to soften it, make it more palatable, and that does happen. We don't call people crazy anymore. Or we don't use hysteria as a medical diagnosis. They've been they've been removed. They've been erased because it's not a true um, diagnosis of a condition. And the same thing goes where it used to be where we had people who were transsexual were listed as a predator under pedophilia. It's they realized that that wasn't the case and they moved that. And they've removed it as a mental health issue now in the DSM-5, which has been out for a little bit. And um, it now resides completely different. But we're also starting to see that there's other issues, and we're evolving as a medical community. So when we look at the term transgender, I usually – I mean as transsexual, I usually change it to saying transgender. And I make a distinct um, change when I talk to people about it. And when it comes to self-identifying, yes, you can self-identify. Like I said, you can. But when you want me to take you seriously as a professional person who deals with doctors all the time, seriously, you're if you want to play in this field, you need to know everything about it. You need to know what life is about. And it's not just a, you know, opening a can and saying, look, I'm purple. You're not. Okay. And I know that it would not be favorable. A lot of people might disagree with me, but I work with doctors and we look at the solid facts of the issue. And those solid facts are that you need to seek medical attention to be diagnosed correctly. And once you have a diagnosis, it allows the medical com community to assist you in what you need for your future. Sometimes we make choices, and those choices aren't always the best choices when we're left to make them on our own. We make them with our heart instead of our head. And I've, I too have done this. 
I have made choices in the past where I have um, used my heart instead of my head, and it ended up with a lot of uh, results that I didn't want. So we're going to take a little break, and we're going to come back and talk about the rest of this, because this terminology really triggered me for some strange reason. So take a break, get a drink, come back. Welcome back. As I said, it was something that really set me over the, uh, the, what the, <laughs> and I kind of looked at it. And when I looked at how I responded to the individual, I, I was shocked at my own actions because I really, I, I should not have said what I said, but it was, what was the first thought that came to my mind? What are you, 10? And the person's like, I wasn't saying that. This person had, I'd been in a, a Twitter conversation with this individual for oh, maybe about 15 posts on my part. Um, the other individual just could not get it past their um, head that 72 people is a drop in the bucket in life. And you're trying to change the world's rules for 72 people. doesn't really work that way. And when those people aren't officially diagnosed, you're wanting to create a safe space for somebody who isn't officially diagnosed, who are already predators. Yeah, it just doesn't float. And you wouldn't do it for somebody who was going, well, I'm Batman. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't say, well, we need safe spaces away from this bat person. Most of these criminals that exist in the system in America or anywhere else that are predators are separated from general population. So the issue of needing a safe space in a prison for some to protect you from somebody who's a predator doesn't really hold much water. They already exist in a separate section of the prisons. They're not put into general populations. Why? Because majority of the time, those people would be killed because there is a code. There is a code that exists even among criminals. You don't harm children. And predators are extremely targeted. Um, so they are watched like, like hawks. Um, now, in also saying that, we, we need to look at that. Like I said, you're in the prison system. You're not there because you're a goody-goody two-shoes. And I certainly don't need to protect you from someone who is also in there who's not a goody-goody two-shoes. You're in there to do your time. And I know quite a few people who have done time um, just because I don't judge people on their on their past. You make a mistake, you own your mistake, you live in your life, and away you go. But a predator is a predator, and we must always remember that. Now, in saying that, I really took it hard that I was being called this because I try really hard 
to um, get good information out for people on being transgender. I stand up where it needs to be. I make a good case for it. Like this person was saying, 72 people. And I'm going, really? You're trying to make a, a rule for 72 people versus 72 people. Well, considering that we have uh, heterosexual, uh, so-called heterosexual GOP uh, politicians who have been caught with their pants down and a little and a, a young man in their bed. I shouldn't say a little boy, but a young man in their bed. We didn't make rules about him or them because they're two. And, you know, if you look at that odds, uh, the percentages, and we say that there's only two or three or maybe even ten of the um, politicians who have been like this versus 72 people versus the rest of the trans community. You, you see what I'm saying here? We're looking at laws that if you're wanting to create a law about this, you need to create a law about that. So then you do you have segregated Congress? That would make no sense. It's like, you know, the, the individual really wasn't thinking. And I did not, I'm normally not a snooper. I don't go to my friend's Facebook page and look at all their photos. I just don't. I don't have time for that. But if they share something on my Facebook and it's kind of fun and I go, oh, hey, wow, nice. Oh, I love how your kid's doing that. Congratulations. But I'm not going to go snooping on their Facebook. It's just, no, it's kind of creepy. Um, and the same thing goes for people that, that go to my Twitter, which if you didn't know, I do have a Twitter. Um and it uh, it works for me, and I I um, I only go there when I need to. Um, but lately, I've been spending more time on Twitter than I have on anything else, which is really. And you can find me at Alina Robbins on Twitter. I'm not trying to hide who I am or disguise it by using stupid names. That way, you couldn't find me. Oh my goodness, it's Batgirl. <laughs> you know, and I'm too afraid to own up to my own opinions. No, I own up to my opinions. If my opinions are wrong, I generally come back and say, oops, I done did screwed up. Now, when we look at this issue, the, I, I just had a feeling, let's take a look at who I'm talking to because after so many posts you just kind of go I'm really getting frustrated telling you the same damn thing over and over again and that's what it was I was coming back telling the person hey look you know I've already pounded your 72 people excuse for safe spaces completely into the ground it is absolutely nonsensical but the person just kept banging on about this and I kept thinking to myself what am I doing wrong how am I not reaching this person does this person have any issues and so I went back to that person's um, Twitter and I looked at it and I just went oh why am I bothering arguing with this person because they just keep banging on about stuff that really isn't factual in fact, it's been disproven over and over and over again, but this person just wants to keep doing it. So, like, you know, it's like someone saying, hey, 
the sun evolves around the earth and believing in that constantly and not believing in the science that exists that the earth revolves around the sun or someone believing that God is in the clouds but the only thing that's in the clouds is storms and water that is evaporated and collected to a certain point and then drops you know um, when we come to that sort of situation, and I was looking at this individual's Twitter, and I'm just going, okay, I need to stop arguing with this person because this person seriously is like whew, out there for me. And I'm never going to be able to convince them, which I don't believe you can convince anybody on their beliefs are wrong. You can give them the information, and then later, if you change your opinion or your view on something, it's because you did it. I didn't do it. You did it. You came to the realization that your opinion might have been wrong. Um, and I, I, I was just I, I took a step back and just went, "Yep, I've made my point. I'm not going to sit here and, and debate you on it." And I stopped talking to them. But it really still stuck with me that I that this person was still denying the fact that there does need to be medical involvement. Um, and they were trying to argue that there needs to be medical involvement while trying to argue that that medical involvement is wrong. While still trying to argue that the medical involvement is wrong in its science. And I was like, wow, you are doing my head in. And I stopped con conversing with it. And I was trying to be polite as possible until I came out and said, what are we, what are you, 10? And I did call him a fucking idiot at one time, too, because it was like, ah! <laughs> now, I want to change speeds a little bit. Um, and I also want to say something, and this this was brought up today, and it was rather interesting in, a, in a, um, another podcast that I listened to. Um, I'm not going to shoot their podcast because they don't shoot my podcast, so we're just going to leave it as another podcast. And they came to um, a small little section about J.K. Rowling. But J.K. Rowling is now going on a um, lawsuit, a suing um, spree of anybody that says anything negative about her tweets against the trans community and she's suing people for doing this now i give jk rowling's about as much leeway as i can but at a certain point don't write a check that your body can't cash and this is it jk rowling's got a big head and she decided that she was finally going to let her opinions because she felt she was untouchable. She felt she was untouchable. This is a person that once fought for every marginalized person. Look, I like the uh, Harry Potter series. Thought it was fantastic. It was very inspirational, and I thought that it was it presented a good message. But the individual who wrote it, oh my gosh, is a horrible individual. 
And in saying that, we've had other authors throughout history who have wrote amazing stories. But they're shit human beings. And I'm not going to tell you who they are, because really I don't want to sit there and, and drag out literal, uh, literary uh, history and say, this person wrote this fantastic piece of work, but they're an absolute dropkick of a human being. If you want to know that, look at who your authors are. Look at who your heroes are. But remember that when you look at those heroes, they have flaws, just like each and every one of us. And you may not like them after you point those flaws out. But in saying that, in I don't support what JKR did. But I also see it as what we call the death of the author. And the other podcast brought this up and the death of the author is the fact that the author's human side is showing that their frailties to their existence is also showing. And what I mean by that, and it's something that might be a little bit difficult for many people to understand is that let's say, um, JKR fades into the only great story she ever wrote was Harry Potter. Let's say it that way. So she goes to write another story and it never, never pans out. Not because she wasn't trans, not because she was trans or anti-trans or, or supporting trans. It was just simply because she had one good story in her wasn't anything new there's been wizards and warlocks and the tolkienology that exists um actually comes before even tolkien but we attribute most of this kind of thought process to what tolkien wrote you know you look at it you have a good guy you have a bad guy you have um a set of heroes who charge in and do what's right to save everybody. It's very Tolkien-esque. And unfortunately, I just don't think um, that JK is going to be able to create something outside of that. And, I, and I'm going to point to the um, the Twilight books. They, they were targeted as an, at an audience. They were written. But when she tried to go outside of that, she failed. She couldn't create that magic that existed in the Twilight books. And you, you see that in a lot of authors where they just keep going back to the same old shit over and over again. And then when they try to break out of that, they just don't have the magic. And that's the death of the author. Um. And I think that's what we're seeing with J.K.R. She's got so much money coming in from the Harry Potter franchises that she thinks she's untouchable. But if she tried to write outside of that, I don't think it's going to hold much value to it. I don't think that she has that ability to create that kind of magic. Um, you know, and you and if she could stay to Harry Potter's theme and the the world of Harry Potter, yeah, I think she would have a better success. But let's say she goes into science fiction. I don't think she's got it there. 
And in saying that, I mean, if you look at like um, the to me, the greatest suspense writer is Jake is uh, is Stephen King. Stephen King is an absolutely amazing writer. But we're just not going to see him writing a love story anytime soon. He may have done it under a, a pseudonym or something like that, and it may have gone nowhere. I don't know. And I could be wrong, but it doesn't cross my mind. But if I want to think of a suspense book or a horror flick or anything like that or, or something, I come to Stephen King. He's good at what he does. My my favorite series of books by uh, Stephen King's is, is The Stand. Loved the theory behind it. Loved everything about it. It was just a magical series, a, a, a book for me that really um, captivated me. And The Dark Tower was good. I liked The Dark Tower. A lot of people wouldn't, but I do. But when you come back to that, you look at how he stayed within his genre because he's really good at writing those stories. And you get captivated. Look at it. How many people got freaked out about a balloon and a clown who was an alien or a monster? You know, you, you just kind of go back to it. and You go, OK, yeah, I'm getting this shit. And that's where I'm, I'm looking at uh, JK, I really don't think that she is such a big thing. I think in time she's going to fade off. And the only thing she will have attributed to her will be Harry Potter. And these horrible tweets. We will come back to it. We will look at it. Because there is other writers who, oh my gosh, if you looked at how much of... Uh, of um, I wouldn't say homophobes, uh, uh, racist. There's a couple of really fantastic authors that were out there who wrote in history some amazing books. But if you looked at who they were, they were monsters. One, if you looked at his, what his dog is called, I won't tell you who he is, but if you look at his dog, his dog will tell you how much a racist he is. But if you're looking for someone that is not only a good author, but a good person, you could look at Stephen King. Or you could even look at Terry Pratchett. Oh my goodness, what can be said about Terry Pratchett? An amazing author. And a good person. And that's where we need to look at. Yes, J.K.R. did a fantastic series but unfortunately, her opinions are not as fantastic. And now that she's suing anybody that attacks her, hey, JK, you can come sue me too. Because I really do think that your tweets were abysmal. They were horrific um, attacks on a community that you did not even need to target. You didn't even need to say anything. And we keep telling our children over and over again, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And that's where I'm going to kind of leave it today. Um, I hope you understand that, you know, um, 
my podcasts depend upon how I am feeling with my condition. Um, it is not always the nicest thing in the world to have a condition that you can't figure out. Um, that does not make a lot of sense to you. Um, I had somebody say, maybe you have fibromyalgia. So I'm going to talk to my doctor about that because, you know, doctors have so many things that exist. And if you can go in there with a little bit of information, hey, could it be possible that I have this? I can tell you where my pain is. I can tell you I've been plagued with this since I was 10 years old. Could it possibly be this? And if it's this, then how do we adjust for this? Is there medical treatments? Is there different things that I can access to improve my standard of living? Um, and that's where it comes down to. I'm very open with my doctor, and I, he respects my opinions when I come in. I don't go in saying I've learned this from Dr. Google. I look at my information on Dr. Google. I look at scholarly articles. I look at the diagnosis. And then I go in and I talk to my doctor and say, hey, Jerome, I'm questioning this chronic pain. Is it possible all this time throughout my life I actually had fibromyalgia? And is there a way we can test for it? And is there a way we can treat it? Because... I'm getting worse, and it's driving me batty. I'm trying to, you know, I assist my doctor, but I don't act like a doctor to my doctor. He spent eight years. I didn't. So um going to leave it there. I wish you all the best, and thank you for listening today. I'll try and be back later. <laughs>